Amen. Thank you, folks. Matthew chapter number four. Matthew chapter number four. If you'll join me there, Matthew chapter number four. The title of this morning's message is The Designs of the Devil. Matthew chapter number four. You join us there. If you need a copy of the scriptures, there's one right there in front of you in the back of the pew. I'd love for you to follow along. We had a great time last night at the ice skating uh, activity, and so we missed some of you there, but we had a great time. A lot of people showed up from here from the church, and I'm glad to say I don't think there were too many old people that fell. And then they're good, and I'm throwing myself in that category, by the way, too. So I, I've reached the age where I go slow enough. I'm smart enough, finally, to realize that's, that fall is too far, amen, and uh, going down there. But the kids had a great time, teenagers. They were falling all over the place, and uh, they just bounced right back up. Boy, am I jealous, amen, and uh, nonetheless, we had a good time. Thank you, Pastor Tony, for getting that all orchestrated and set up. Great time. Matthew chapter number four. Let's look at verse number one, shall we, as we begin? Matthew chapter number four, will you look at verse number one to kind of uh, set the stage, give us the context. Verse one. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Okay, let's look at that first little word, then, right? Uh, when we see that, it certainly would beg us to ask the question. Uh, the word then is telling us it's following an event, a special event. We could put it this way. This temptation, we ask, uh, yes, it's orchestrated by the devil. It's allowed by God the Father when is it rearing its ugly head in the life of Jesus Christ? When is it coming up? When is it appearing in, in his life? Well, don't miss it. He's coming off a spiritual high, if we could describe it. What we would often describe as a mountaintop experience. He's coming off a time of sweetness, celebration, joy, rejoicing. This is Christ's baptism by John the Baptist. It's kind of him coming on the scene. I, I like to liken it into his inauguration of his ministry, his earthly ministry. It kind of just kind of throws open the doors for all to see who this Christ is. And so it is a joyous celebration. Look back in chapter 3, if you will. Chapter 3, look at verses 16 and 17. We'll just read the end. This describes for us this event. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Verse and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the glorious pronouncement of God the Father and of Jesus Christ being his son, of, of him again coming on the scene, beginning his earthly ministry. And I love that statement. Isn't it good? This, notice it. This isn't, this isn't after he's already gone to the cross and after he's already served and healed people, done things. I sure am thankful that, Jesus, that, that God in heaven, God the Father, said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We might argue he hasn't done anything. That would be wrong. Because the reality is this, Jesus Christ is already following the will of the Father. He's come to earth. He's gone this path and started treading this path that ends in the cross of Calvary and then continues when he raises from the grave. He's already started. And so in whom I am well pleased, because here he is, he's come to earth. He's fulfilling the Messiah, the Savior of all. It's amazing. There's the Holy Spirit too. I, I, I think this is neat because in that inauguration, you have God the Father and speaking. You have God the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. God the Son and Jesus Christ. And so this is a spiritual mountaintop. This is a spiritual celebration. This is the, the kickoff. And I, I think of maybe when a president is inaugurated to begin his term and, and so forth. It's that kind of energy, celebration, excitement, and so forth. And then uh, after this event, this abundantly fruitful, spiritually energizing moment of the baptism. Where does he go? Verse 1, we just read it. He went into the wilderness. He went into the wilderness. You know, it's, a, it's quite the contrast. 
He goes from the blessings and the favor of God. God is shining the spotlight for people around. Remember, there's people coming from all over the place to watch John the Baptist, his baptism, to hear him speak. And, and here came Christ and John the Baptist. Listen, I'm not even, I'm not worthy to, 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 to do his sandal, to latch it, to unlatch it. And Christ says, oh, John, you, you need to baptize me. This is fulfillment. And so you need to do this. And, and these people, remember, people, the Pharisees even came out to watch John the Baptist. We have no idea who was here. There's a multitude of people watching, and the, the spotlight of heaven shines upon Jesus Christ. God in heaven speaks, God the Father. This is an amazing event. And we go from that, he goes from that to the wilderness. And not just the wilderness, you see what happens? He's tempted by the devil. My friend, can I remind you this morning, this is a vivid reminder that all of the Christian life is not just roses. It isn't just mountaintop experiences. It isn't just uh, being on the offensive, serving and witnessing and such uplifting things. No, sometimes, oftentimes, do not miss this, oftentimes the good fight comes to you. The good fight comes to you. It did in this case with Jesus Christ. You see, the devil loves to come after us. He loves to, uh, to come and throw temptation our way after a mountaintop experience spiritually. We put it this way, we, we need to remind ourselves that we are pilgrims in a strange land. And on this road to heaven, there's going to be rough places all along the way. And many of them are there, and, and uh, many of those potholes and difficulties and obstacles are orchestrated by the devil. First thing I want you to see, the principle of one of the designs of the devil is simply this. The devil doesn't want mountaintop experiences to last. He was done. This is so, I'm so tired of people, uh, of what God the Father said. Well, I don't want that in the minds of people. I want to trip Christ up before he gets going. Before, after this great event of the, the baptism, before that carries over, I, I want to stop him spiritually. That was his desire. It's an ageless design for attacking believers, just like he did Jesus Christ. So, he will gladly bring the fight to you. We read just a few uh, Verse 3, the beginning, and when the tempter came to him. My friend, you may have had a mountaintop experience recently in one way or the other. The reality is you best be assured and be reminded that the devil is going to bring the fight to you. He does not want your spiritual mountaintop experience to, to continue. Now, I've said this before, and I truly believe this. I, I think we see it every January into February, and I've seen it for 40 years of growing up in the ministry, being in the ministry. I really believe that Satan is overly active in January into February. I really do. I, I, boy, I, the longer I live, the longer I'm a pastor, and having grown up in the ministry in a pastor's home, having now been a pastor in, in one sort or another, 20 plus years, the reality is this, friend, listen, Satan loves to be active in January and February when most of us are too cold to be active. Satan loves it. You say, why? And I've thought on it, on it often. I really believe this, and here is my hypothesis, if I can put it this way before you. He loves coming into our lives. He loves, just like he did with Christ, after we just got done celebrating Christmas. A whole month we've set aside, and, and for most of us we have reveled in the reality of considering Jesus Christ was born in a manger. He came and lived a perfect life. He went to the cross of Calvary to die for you and I. This is the Lamb of God. Joy to the world. The devil doesn't like that. 
The devil doesn't like you and I from Thanksgiving when we focus on the, the, the prospering that God has done for us, the preservation, the, uh, the providing that God, and we give him thanks. And then we move into a month in which we're celebrating his son that has come to defeat Satan. Boy, Satan doesn't like that. And hearts are encouraged. And you and I come off of December, and boy, man, we are, we are oh, man, I am, I am encouraged in my faith. I'm thankful for Jesus Christ. And not only was he born, not only did he die, but he is alive. And man, we come off of that and say, it's like, I'm done with that. I, I really believe, and this may sound crazy, but we enjoy, we enjoy December and Christmas. Then comes our wilderness, January. And Satan knows it. He comes after you and I. And man, he throws this temptation at us here. And he loves to come on strong, throwing temptation after temptation. Depression, sadness, doubt, fear, bitterness, sorrow, anxiety, disappointment. You name it. I honestly believe, I, I think Satan hates the month of December and whatever month Easter's in. I think he hates it. I'm not, I, it sounds funny. I, I'm being serious. I do. He doesn't want us reflecting and meditating upon our God, our Savior who came to earth for you and I, who died on the cross of Calvary. He doesn't like those mountaintop experiences we believers enjoy those times. Listen, all of us have experienced. We've gone through a great week of revival. We've gone through great meetings. God has done a great work in our lives. And what happens? The week after revival is one of the worst weeks you have all year. Because Satan comes. He wants you to forget every decision you made. He wants you to forget what you heard, the preaching, and so forth. We often remark that when someone struggles with being saved and struggles to come in the Lord, when they finally come to the Lord, that it seems like their life sometimes gets turned upside down with things happening and so forth. I'll tell you, someone gets saved, the devil loves to come after them. Loves to try to convince them, you've made the wrong mistake. You've done, why would you ever do that? And boy, tries to convince them otherwise. My friend, he doesn't like you and I enjoying those mountaintop experience, he'll do whatever he can. He'll work overtime to make them a distant memory in our minds and our hearts in the days and weeks afterwards. Can I just encourage you this morning, listen to me. The, the devil doesn't want mountaintop experiences to last. And so beware. You've likely been the target of Satan's attacks this month. There's some of you sitting right here, right now. The, the devil has it out for you. The devil has it out for him. He, he's aiming for you. He's thinking, already he's working on something this week. Already he's working on how he wants to throw a temptation at you. He wants you to come crashing down from the mountain, just like he desired for Jesus Christ. He really does want you to forget the joy of Christmas. He doesn't want you thinking ahead to the reality of the great truth and hope of Easter. He wants you to be in the doldrums of temptation. He wants you struggling. He wants you depression and fear and anxiety and worry. And he wants all of these things. And he wants you to react and respond and give in to temptation. My friend, these are the designs of our great enemy, the devil. Look at verse number two, if you will. Verse number two, Matthew 4. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. Yeah, I love this statement. It's setting the thing. I really believe this too. One of the great proofs or one of the great evidence of this passage is the reality of the humanity of Jesus Christ. He's led of the Spirit. And just like the Spirit leads you and I in different places, he's led of the Spirit in the wilderness, a tough place. You know what? The Holy Spirit will lead some of you to go to work tomorrow, as he should. You've made a commitment. You've agreed to that. The Holy Spirit leads us to keep our commitments and things like that. Holy Spirit will lead you to work tomorrow, but you'll be tempted to work. There'll be temptations that come. 
And yet the Holy Spirit led you there. Very much in that humanity, that Christ thing. Now he's, he, he's fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Can I just point this out? Would you look at it? Look at the first part of verse 3, if you will. Notice it. And when he, the tempter came to him. All right, here it is. Okay, We just read verse 2. He's fasted 40 days, 40 nights. He's hungry. Guess who shows up on the scene? The devil. May I just encourage you about this truth? You see, the devil not only doesn't want your mountaintop experiences to last. Number two, the devil is very opportunistic. The devil is very opportunistic. He he seizes the opportunities for victory when they show themselves for victory over God's family that reveal themselves. He loves to find us, don't miss this, when we are weak, when we are struggling. He loves to find that. He loves to know when you're wrestling with something in your life, you're struggling spiritually, he loves to find that. He loves to find when you're struggling physically. Christ was weak in his human form here in verse 2. Listen, he had been fasting for a long time. I've often wondered about this fasting. Is it, is it much like we see in the, in the Arab countries, the Middle East, where they fast during the day hours, but they'll eat? But this says he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now listen to me. I can't hardly go four hours without it affecting me. And some of you are like that. 40 days and 40 nights! And I think the greatest understatement of the Scriptures, he was hungry. Yeah, I guess so. 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. Satan knows it. He's coming after it. You know what I find interesting? Okay, you, you, we can imagine, humanly speaking, physically speaking, he's weak. His body doesn't have the energy, the, the things that he needs. And, and he's hungry, very hungry in this moment. I mean, these are physical ailments. These are a physical weakness. And boy, the devil knows that. And here's what I find amazing. Do you realize that the world even knows? The world even knows the vulnerability we experience when we are physically weak and tired and hungry and going through trying circumstances? See, even fellow human beings, they understand, wait a minute, listen, when you don't eat, it affects you. When when you're weak physically, boy, things can happen. And and I, I find it amusing how how, 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 much the, how close the world is to spiritual truth and yet so far away. Back in 2010, the makers of the Snickers candy bar started a new advertising campaign. Do you remember their slogan? It was this, you're not you when you're hungry. That was their slogan. Was back in 2010, they came out, you're not you when you're hungry. In other words, hunger affects you. It changes you, and it affects you for the negative. Then they, then they coined the term that many of us really might be used now. They, they started throwing out this term, okay, hangry. You get angry when you're hungry. Hangry. It affects you. Your hunger affects you. It makes you more susceptible. Even the world sees this, and and they didn't stop there. They then went to the lengths of repackaging their candy bars with what they called symptoms of being hungry. And of course, what they were pushing was, just eat a Snickers bar and you'll feel much better. It will cure all these things. This is true. They put ornery on a candy bar. They put snippy on a candy bar, impatience on a candy bar, whiny, grouchy. They even put complainer (laughs) on a candy bar, rebellious, cranky. And what are they saying? 
Eat a candy bar. This will solve it because when you're hungry, you can get this way. Listen, these are spiritual problems. Okay, not loopy probably or whatever, okay? But many of these are spiritual problems, right? Complaining, whiny, cranky, grouchy. These are spiritual problems. Now listen, are we susceptible at times when we're hungry, physically tired, going through trying circumstances? Yes, but that's what the devil wants. He wants to find you when you're weak. He wants to find you and I when, when we are having these things show themselves. When, uh, when we're going through difficult circumstances. Friend, listen. Satan seizes the opportunity to throw temptation in your path. Oh, man, they've had a rough day at work. Oh, man, their kids have not done anything right all day. Let me throw this temptation. Here, get angry. Here, here, say something you're going to regret later. Let's throw this temptation out here. Be whining, complaining. Start, start whining, complaining about that. Yeah, Satan loves to throw the snare out there. He loves to throw the trap. And I've got bad news for you. Chocolate doesn't help. Dr. Pepper, maybe, but not chocolate. Hey, listen, it doesn't help. Snickers cannot help you with your spiritual problems. But praise be unto God, he can so we understand, listen, Satan does not want your mountaintop experiences to last. No way. Satan is opportunistic. He knows when you'll be tired this week. Some of you may say, Pastor, I'm always tired. He knows it. He knows when some of you get, you're, you get hungry, you're snippy, you're snarky. You let your anger get the best of you. And as funny as that is of Snickers and their response, it's not really funny because that's a spiritual issue. That's a temptation of the devil coming after you and I. Uh, Look at verse 3, if you will. Look quickly. Notice it. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Man, he knew. He's hungry. So I'm going to tempt him. Turn these stones into bread. What does that tell us? Listen, don't miss it, okay? It makes this simple principle clear. Satan knew exactly when Jesus was hungry, Christ. He knew exactly what Christ's weakness was at the moment. He knew where the weakest part of the spiritual wall was and where he should attack. Oh, wow, he's fasting. He's hungry. Huh, okay. Hey, Jesus, come here. If if you're really the son of God, turn turn these stones into bread. Now, I'll tell you, anything would sound good when you've been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan comes along, you just give him spiritually. Let's, let's, let, let's let go a little ground, and, and you just turn this stone in, in, into bread. Christ, aren't you hungry? Don't you want it? He knew exactly. And I, I, we know, okay, let's, let's go doctrinally. We know that Satan is not omniscient like God. He's not all-knowing. We, we know that. But the exact extent of his knowledge, we're not crystal clear on exactly what God has allowed him to be privy to. We, we know from the book of Job that he even reported to God in some ways and so forth. But you know what this makes crystal clear? And do not miss this. We are talking about your enemy. We are talking about the enemy of your soul. We know that he knows when we are weak and what our weakness is. Isn't that amazing? Now, I'll tell you, I don't want my enemy, I don't want my opponent to know my weakness, and I don't know him to know when I'm hurting. I remember reading a book some many, 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 many years ago. It was about football, football players, and uh, it was maybe Walter Payton, somebody like that, but one of their convictions as a football player was every time they got tackled, no matter how hurt they were, they got up the same way 
every time. You know why? Because they didn't want that defense watching them say, oh, look, he's hurting the ankle. Oh, look, his knee's hurt. Oh, look, I'll tell you, as an opponent, and I have an opponent, an enemy, I don't know, want them to know where I'm hurting. I don't know, want them to know where I'm weak. But here's a problem. Satan knows. He knows your weakness. And he knows when you are in the midst of that weakness. He knows when you are hungry. And he knows what will set you off. He knows what he can throw in your path and, and who it may be and what they may have to say to, to trip you up. And he knows when your mind is consumed with trying circumstances that you are going through. He knows that when, when you're so distracted or consumed with something else and the least little thing will, 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 will cause you to snap and, and cause you to say something you ought not to. He knows these things and he will seize the opportunity and exploit these things. Do not mess it, Christian. We have a subtle enemy who's seeking whom he may devour. So he's very opportunistic. And then we throw to that, he, he knows our propensity. He knows our besetting sin if we, as we've coined the phrase from Hebrews chapter 12. And in verse number 1, this is what it says. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And that sin, or thus sin, which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The Greek word here, translated as beset, it literally means to easily ensnare, easily entangle. Literally, the devil knows exactly for you what's the thing that you can easily. Maybe it's the sinning of the mouth. Maybe you'll say something, boy. When you're hungry, you're tired, boy, you'll just react with words. Maybe you'll react physically. The devil knows that. Maybe it's just your thoughts. The devil knows that when you're hungry and you're tired or you're going through trying circumstances, all he has to do is plant the seed of thought, the seed of doubt or something, and boy, you'll run away with your thoughts in such a way that it is not glorifying honor God. You'll run away with it. He knows what it is for you and your propensity. Maybe when you're going through a time that's very full of pressure and anxiety, boy, the devil knows how he can get you to react in a wrong way. He knows. You know, the same is true for you and I in the sense that we learn things like that, right? You know what? A long time ago, whether it be when we lived in Indiana, when we lived in Virginia, and now as we've lived in Michigan for 10 plus years, the reality is this. I, I have learned down through the ages a long time ago that mice cannot resist a big glob of peanut butter. It's funny. The mice are not picky in each of those states. They all respond to the same way. And they'll go for it. Now, I know some of you have found other things that work and so forth like that, but I'm telling you, I have had great success in reducing the mice population of America with globs of peanut butter. You say, why is that so? It's somewhat of a besetting weakness for them. And you know what that besetting weakness has done? It's led to their last meal, amen? We won't get any more graphic, don't worry. The next picture is not the outcome of it, okay? Let me put that up there. It's their besetting weakness. I know how I can get them. I know how I can ensnare them. I know how I can easily entangle them. What will work? May I just tell you, may I just remind you, it sounds like beating a dead horse. Satan knows your besetting sin. He'll come after you in that way. He knows your weakness. He knows exactly when you're tired, sick, or hungry. He knows if you'll get angry, if you're easily depressed. He knows if you get easily annoyed. He knows if you'll be sharp with your mouth, snarky, or easily think wrong thoughts about others. He knows that, boy, they're tired, they're weak. All I have to make sure is that meal is not perfect, and all they'll do all night is complain. I'm telling you, Satan knows. 
Ever been in a hurry? You've been tired and hungry. You've been in a hurry. And that one driver who likes to go 15 to 20 miles on the speed limit finds you in a no-passing zone. Satan knows, my friend. Satan knows. I don't think we give Satan enough credit sometimes. In his designs as our enemy and his opportunistic attitude about things in our lives. My friend, he knows us. He will attack us where we are weak. He will put the bait in front of us. Oh, just say something. Just think that. Just react that way. Go for it. So you will be tripped up into sinning in that way. Remember, the Bible gives us a principle about the devil. He's stalking you. I know very little about hunting and, and such things, but I do know this, that a lot of times guys will go where they're going to be hunting and they'll look and they'll find the trails and they'll see where a deer's been bedding down. They'll, they'll look for traces. Somebody talked to me this morning about looking for traces and footprints in the snow and things like that. Hey, you'll look, you'll stalk so that you can get them. Do you realize that in your entire life, Satan has been watching you? He knows what you'll do when you're tired, when you're weak. He knows how to trip you up. He knows when you're hungry, just like he knew when Jesus Christ was. And he'll, he'll come, friend. He'll, he'll get you. He'll, he'll offer that temptation that is your besetting sin. And my friend, the only way you will resist is with God's help. God's help. We'll see as Christ shows us the great example of it. But remember, he's stalking you today. He's stalking you this week, this month. He's ready to pounce. He's seeking to devour you spiritually by tempting you to sin. Why? Because he's very opportunistic. Very opportunistic. Look at verse 3 and 4 again, if you will. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I remind you, the devil is subtle. He's very sneaky. He's smart. Do you see here where he says that he, where it shows or demonstrates that he likes to tempt each of us? Uh, or what he likes to do, excuse me, when he tempts each of us and tries to get us to sin or, or when we, even we do sin. You see what he starts the word of, with the temptation here? Notice it. it this, is, this is a crucial aspect of his designs of the devil. Notice it, okay? If, 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 doubt, doubt, doubt. If, he repeats it in verse 6, glance down there, he says the same thing to Jesus Christ. If thou be the Son of God. Would you see this morning that he is, what's he doing? He's casting doubt on the sonship of Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you're the Son, ah, nah, nah. let's forget all that baptism talk and God in heaven saying this is my beloved Son. No, no, no. If you are the Son of God, do this then. The doubt He's shining, as we could put it, the light of doubt on whether Christ is really the Son of God. And the, the devil loves to do the same thing with you and I in temptation. This is it. The broad principle is simply this. The devil okay, loves shining that light of doubt many ways while tempting us. He loves shining the light of doubt in many different ways while he is tempting us. In the midst of it, he will do what he did with Christ. He will try in your life to cast and shine that light of doubt as to whether you're truly a son of God, a child of God. He'll throw that light. He'll cast it there. He'll say, hey, no Christian should ever be tempted like you with that. Are you sure you're really saved? I mean, you, you, you're really thinking about doing that? You're having to wrestle with that thought? You, you, you're having to fight your flesh like that? Oh, are you sure you're saved? Are you sure you're the, a child of God? Oh, he'll do that, friend. 
And if you do slip up and sin, if you actually give in to temptation, boy, the devil is good, isn't he? He says, you can't be a Christian if you do those things. No child of God would be caught doing those things. No, no, there's no way that, that you're one of his. Uh, a Christian wouldn't react that way. A Christian wouldn't say those things. If he can't do that, he'll shine the light of doubt by tempting you to believe this. Listen, don't miss it. God doesn't care about you. God's forgotten about you. God doesn't care. He, if he really was such a great God, he, he wouldn't have let this happen to you. You wouldn't be tired. You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be going through those t- uh, trying circumstances. You wouldn't be. If God was really that good, he, he wouldn't let you be in this predicament. Boy, Satan is good at shining that light of doubt, isn't he? Boy, if that doesn't work, you know what he'll say? He'll, he'll cast doubt on the thought, oh, God won't know if you sin. No one's going to see it. No one's going to know. And, and even if God does know, if, he's not going to care if you just slip up a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. You, in fact, you have every right and every excuse to act that way, to talk like that. Now, listen, God in heaven will understand if you lose your temper. God in heaven's going to understand if you think that wrong thought about that. It's justified. Doubt, 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 doubt. Every temptation has it. Satan loves to shine that light. He did it in the Garden of Eden with the first man and woman. He did it here in the wilderness with the God who is in the form of a man. He will do it for every man and woman who claims the name of Jesus Christ. Every temptation you face, he's going to shine that light of doubt. There's going to be something that he causes you to doubt about your God. Something about your own relationship with God that he causes you to doubt. Take note, beware, friend. Understand that with every temptation, the devil loves to shine that light of doubt somewhere. He'll get you to doubt. And if he can get you to doubt, he'll get you to hesitate in acting and doing right. Notice it quickly. We move on again to verse number three. I want you to also learn what else about the designs here. Verse number three, it's a powerful verse. has a lot to it. Notice it. Here's another thing we learn about the, the designs of the devil within temptations. Notice it. The devil loves to challenge us to distrust the providence and provision of God and to take care of matters ourselves. He loves to do this in temptation. He loves to push you on an island. He loves to separate you from God, get you to distrust his provision. His, listen, boy, if this is God's plan, boy, what kind of plan is it? You really think God wants this to happen in your life? Hey, it, it, you love God. Why is this happening in your life? All that doubt wrapped in. He wants us to distrust God's provision, his plan, uh, his providence. And he wants you and I then to take the steering wheel back. Amen. He wants you and I to to have control, to take the matters into ourselves. Notice, did you catch what he said to Christ? Come on. Hey, Jesus, you're hungry, man. God didn't didn't make a meal for you. God the Father is a... Okay, why why don't you just go ahead and let's make these stones into into bread. You take the matters into your own hand, Jesus Christ. You you go ahead and and you deal with this. You deserve it. And you've been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. God in heaven's left you high and dry. Oh, he said all those nice things back at your baptism. But boy, he's left you now. He... Uh, is he really looking out for you, Jesus? Uh, just go ahead. Take care of yourself. Be your own provider. You know what's best for you. You can handle this yourself. Boy, the devil likes to say that, doesn't he? Hey, he did it for Eve in the garden. Did God really say this? There's a doubt. Oh, you surely won't die. Go ahead and find out. You, you take matters in your own hands, Eve. Listen, my friend, somebody in this room tomorrow, the devil's going to come to you, and after he shines that light of doubt, he's going to convince you you know better than God. 
You can take care of yourself. Yeah, just distrust his providence and, and what he's, his provision. You take care of matters yourself. Boyfriend, how much does Satan hate for God to be God in anyone's life? How he hates for us to depend on God and look to our Lord. How he loves us to, uh, loves to make us think we are justified in our sin and our giving into temptation and our actions and our words because God has somehow failed us because we just need to take matters into our own hands. How he likes to convince us that we are justified in our actions, our words, our sins, and our own eyes. It's a common temptation you and I face today just like he threw at Jesus Christ. Take care of yourself. You know best. Do what feels good. He loves to throw that out on us. Quickly, look at verses 5 and 6, and then we'll jump down to verses 8 and 9. Here's the other two temptations. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. Verse 6, And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Look down at verse number 8, if you will, with me. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. He showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if... Thou wilt fall down and worship me. These next two, next, uh, the next two temptations, what do they show us? It tells us something we must never forget about the designs of the devil. Here it is. The devil's main goal, don't ever miss this, the main goal in tempting you is this. God's influence removed. God's influence removed, God's image replaced, and God's investment spoiled in you. Every temptation comes in your life, Christian. Here's, here's his goal. Here's his delight. Here's what he wants to happen in your life. God's influence removed. God's image replaced. He doesn't want him to be God. He doesn't want him to rule and reign. And he wants God's investment to be spoiled. This is his goal. When he comes after you, he wants that influence to be minimized, removed from your life. He wants to get rid of it completely. He knows that if he can trip us up, if he can slip us, uh, cause us to slip up, to sin, he has been successful, at least in the moment, of removing the influence of God. He's getting us on our island, and he says, okay, if I can get them to give in to this temptation, if I can get them to get angry and get mad and whine and complain and, and be unkind, then I, I have removed God's influence from their life for at least a moment. And my friend, that's exactly the type of victory the devil wants. He also obviously desire, he, he wants something or anything to replace God as the one we worship. Did you catch that? Bow down and worship me, Jesus. I'll give you all this. Uh, he wants that image to be replaced with a false image. He really doesn't care. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just something or someone else to be Lord in your life, the God of your life, the one that rules and reigns in the heart and life. See, with Christ, what he did, he tried to tempt him to worship himself. May I ask you this, and would you listen carefully, what is it that Satan most often tempts you with to worship? For Christ, he says, hey, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all this. What does Satan come to you on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? Hey, hey, just worship this. Maybe it's the dollar. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's this world as a whole. Maybe it's something else in the world. What is it that the devil comes to you and in the temptation he says, hey, just, just worship this. Put this before God. Because he wants to remove every image of God that he can in your heart and mind. He wants to remove him from the throne of your life. So what is it that he wants you and tempts you with worshiping? And my friend, don't ever forget that he, oh, he desires and loves to see that all that God has invested in you, 
from salvation to the Holy Spirit living inside of you to the revelation of his word to the daily grace he bestows upon us to be spoiled. He wants it to be wasted. He wants it to be made none effect in your life. If he can get you to sin, he, he, you know what he feels like? He's messed up God's plan. He has wasted God's resources. He has thwarted all that God has done in you and, and through you. He, he wants to mess up, and don't miss it, he wants to mess up the good work that God has begun within you and wants to complete. That's what Satan's desire is. I'm going I'm to mess up God's investment. You see, it's the same thing with Christ. If I can get Christ off the path that God the Father had for him, if I can, if I can get him off of God's plan, that, that's what I want. That's his desire. And he wants to do the same in your life. He wants to take you off God's plan. He, he wants to get God's influence and his investment wasted in your life. But I just encourage you today, do not miss it. Understand the designs behind every one of Satan's temptations that he throws at you. He's opportunistic. He doesn't want your mountaintop experience to last, friend. He, he, he doesn't want to see you uh, rejoicing repetitively in that. He wants to shine that light of doubt. And, and friend, here he's going to challenge you and I to distrust his, God's providence and his provision and take matters into our own hands. That's within all the temptations that he throws at us. Now, let's look, and we probably know this, but let's be reminded of it. Look at verse 4, 7, and 10. We read, we read a couple of them already. Notice it. This is Christ, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Verse 7, Jesus saith unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 10, uh, I should say, verse 10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, get away from me. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Listen, we know that the, the, the great encouragement we take from this. Jesus Christ did not speak of the, as the God of heaven. He did not uh, cause some great miracle to happen. No, he resisted this temptation simply through you using the same tool that you and I have at our hands, the Word of God. He took up the Scriptures. No, 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 Satan, that's not correct. And isn't that good when he comes and shines that light of doubt? When he comes and says, listen, you, you ought to eat. This. You're hungry. You're tired. And so you ought to react in the wrong way. No, 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 no. The Bible says be a kind one to another. The Bible says be angry. He said, no, nah. the Bible says control your anger. The Bible says be under control, be spirit controlled. No, 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 I'm not going to give in to that. I'm going to allow God's word to empower me and help me to fight this. The scriptures, the word of God, the sword of the Lord. My friend, the right at our fingertips is the means and the way to resist every temptation he throws at us. Even when we're hungry, even when we're tired. Even when circumstances of life are overwhelming us, we have it. Would you follow the reasoning of these three verses? They're, they're familiar verses. You know them well. But let's follow the reason. Let's, let's kind of connect the dots spiritually and scripturally if we can. Notice this. We know it well. John chapter 17, verse 17. Uh, notice what it says. Okay, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay, let's add to that. We look here in Luke, or excuse me, John chapter 8 and verse 32. John 8, 32 says this. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay, thy word is truth. The truth shall make you free. And then let's add to that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Okay, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay, so thy word is truth. 
Okay, <laughs> and then we see, we connect it, the truth shall make you free, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is setting the captives free. Now, aren't you thankful this morning, in, in light of this truth, that you and I are indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Because where He is, there is what? Liberty. So, it answers this question. You want to be set free from temptation, each time it shows up, every time Satan comes and he knows you're weak, he knows you're tired, he knows you're hungry, and he's coming, you want to be set free. Here's the simple answer. You study, you learn, you meditate upon and employ God's word. Why? Because thy word is truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. Every temptation, when he comes and he's trying to put those, uh, those shackles and those chains of temptation and sin on you, he, he's trying to trip you up and make you fall and fail, Take out God's word. You fight that temptation. My friend, you can be free of that temptation. You can have liberty in the face of it. And as we have that Holy Spirit indwelling us, here's the good news. Wherever he is, there is always, always, always the possibility and potential of being liberated from every temptation. Every temptation. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And if I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit, my friend, when you go to work tomorrow, when I'm at home tomorrow evening, it does not matter where we are, there's the potential and possibility of being liberated from that temptation. And you and I can join Jesus Christ and say, get thee away, Satan. Get away from me. I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to react like that. I know I'm tempted, boy. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I don't want to let that out like that. I don't respond that way. God, would you help me? Holy Spirit, would you help me? Free me from this temptation. My friend, our God is not a liar. He will free you. He will help you every step of the way. And then there is a, we like to say it here, man, there's a silver lining to this. There's an extra bonus. There is a, a great thing happening here. Look at verse 11. Notice it. Verse 11. Then the devil leaveth him. And boy, that's a great moment in any temptation. Amen? Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Can I just leave you with a word of encouragement this morning? My friend, and verse 11 demonstrates it for us, that with every temptation, God in heaven is waiting and ready to refresh you, restore you, and reestablish you. Every temptation. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you'll face this week. But I do know this. God in heaven's ready to minister to you. In the midst of that temptation, all through it, at the end of it, he's ready to minister. And I, I love this statement as we've written it this way, to refresh you. That, that's what Christ was experiencing. You know, sometimes, though, unfortunately, you and I do fail in that temptation. But aren't you grateful that God is ready to restore you? Reestablish you. Get you back up on your feet. That righteous man that falls seven times and get it back up. He is ready to restore, refresh, reestablish you. And praise be unto God. May I put it this way? Let's put it into common colloquialism if we could here. You know, the fact is this. There is a spiritual light at the end of temptation tunnel. There is a spiritual light at the end of temptation tunnel. We often like to say, well, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, my friend. There's a spiritual light at the end of your temptation. And that's God ready to minister to you. Don't lose hope. Don't lose sight of that. God is ready to minister to you as you fight the good fight, even when the devil is the one that brings it to you. And he will bring it to you. He's opportunistic. He doesn't want your mountaintop experience to last. He's going to bring the fight to you. Let's be ready. I leave you with this thought, and it's simple. In form of a takeaway, in a sense, we have a great enemy. 
His designs are many as we studied, who tirelessly seeks to devour you in your weakness. Never forget it. But man, praise be unto God that you and I have a gracious God in heaven who has given us all that we need to overcome every temptation, to escape the designs of our enemy, and to enjoy the freedom that is found alone in Jesus Christ. My friend, I tell you, we serve a great God. We serve a great God. Father, I thank you so very much for your word. I thank you for the encouragement and the challenge it has been to my own heart and life. And Lord, I, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, Lord, that this is the, where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life, Father. You know that. You've instructed us of that, that temptations abound. The devil is seeking each one of us to devour us. And Father, I pray that we would take these truths, that we would remind ourselves of them, that we would establish ourselves in the truth of your word. And so that when Satan does come, Father, we know his designs we know what he's trying to get us to do and lord in the power of your word and the power of the holy spirit may we withstand those temptations father may we be reminded even now in this moment that in that temptation you are there ready to minister to us and so father may we be on guard this week this day to our besetting sin we're tired we're hungry we're going through circumstances that the devil's going to try to get us to do that thing that is far too easy for us to do in our flesh and our sin nature far too easy for us to give way to lord may we be on guard against that with your help may we withstand that and father may we understand that he's coming for us but much more of a greater truth father you are there to help us we rest in that and lord i pray this morning that there would be some of your children who cry out to you in this invitation Father, who asks for your help as they're facing a specific temptation even now. They're going through a trying circumstance. And Father, I pray that we we'd take what we've heard this morning, what we study in your word, and put it into the form of decisions. And Lord, we'd make resolution, make uh, resolve some things in our life and facing temptation. And Lord, I pray we'd be empowered and encouraged by your word this morning. Father, I just pray that we would respond accordingly to this invitation. Lord, I am so thankful that you are, in a God, you are a God in heaven that cares for us, that knows everything we face. And Father, you have not left us alone, but you have given us everything we need to live godly and righteously in this present world. We rejoice in who you are. We're thankful that you have already defeated our enemy. We look forward to the day when he is no more around any of us. But in the meantime, help us, Father, to resist him as our Savior and our Lord did so long ago. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. I ask you to join me in standing.